for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Oh, we love this, don't we? We love Pet Chat. Welcome to the show, Daniel Carrington. Must be the first Wednesday of the month. First Wednesday of the month. That's me. What are we chatting about today? Separation anxiety in dogs. So it's common. Very. And it's worthwhile to listen to the program to have a look at how we can combat and the issue. Very good stuff. And we've got Dr. Paul McCarthy here. And Paul, will be looking at hypothyroidism. That's right, Sarah. Yep. We didn't get to it the other no, day. No, no. So we'll try and squeeze it in today. Now, Daniel, we're getting back on one of our regulars, Julie Tolliday, <laughs> of course, dog trainer, dog behaviourist. There's not much she doesn't know about dogs. But we're looking at uh, separation anxiety. We are. That's right. So, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on the show. My pleasure, Danny. Look, uh, I guess it's a topic that we hear a lot more about these days and as people uh, are more aware of it, um, they're talking about it. So when we talk about anxiety, where does this anxiety come from? Well, I've written down several things here. So it can be the temperament of the dog. like, And you don't want to make brief, specific generalisations, but some dogs are more prone to it. Dr. Paul taught me that anything with boodle in its name is likely to be predisposed. That's right, Julie. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I believe that we're living in higher and higher density living now and there's pressure on everyone, the dogs, the people. um, People are living with stressful lives and jobs and there's sort of like this this um you know this double-edged sword here where people want the dog to help them calm down but the people are so busy with their jobs and they're not able to put maybe enough time into the dog they just want the benefits from the dog and then the people are anxious and the dogs get anxious so we're talking about anxiety but there's also like let's uh look at the subcategory separation anxiety too so how real or extreme can this be Look, I believe it's real. I've been taught by the highly authorised people like Dr Paul that you shouldn't just slap the label onto everything, which I totally agree with, but there is a continuum of an anxiety that pets suffer, dogs suffer when they are separated from their owners. Uh, To me, it's just a label. It's a name. It's not as important as recognising and treating what it is that the dog's going through. So, you know, it can go from the extremes of particularly, I shouldn't be breed specific, but I'm going to be staffies that will eat your lounge to dogs that just whine and pace and cry. And mm. I shouldn't minimise that, whine and pace and cry when you're not present. That can be a real problem and you're not present. It's causing issues for the neighbours. Yeah, absolutely so, for the neighbours. What are the major causes of separation anxiety? When I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, it's a major overriding, um, I think, statement is that the dog hasn't learnt to relax in the owner's absence. Now, whether that be a short absence of the owner leaving the room or whether that's the absence of the dog, of the owner going to work, the dog hasn't learnt to relax and be okay with that. And when these separation issues are extreme and they've gone that far... We find it hard to use food uh, diversions and reinforcers to help the dog to relax because they've gone past that, which is very hard. What we say is that they've created a Velcro dog. We don't point the finger of blame at the people, but when you've got a Velcro dog, it follows you around the house when you're at home. 
It helps you go to the toilet. It helps you have a shower. It helps you hang the washing out. It's never away from you. And I describe this to people in colours. I say, really, you've got a dog that only knows black and white. White is your home. Everything's happy. I'm with you. I'm the perfect hound. And black is you've shut the door and left me alone for eight hours and I can't cope. And I say to people, we need to create grey. And grey is I'm around but I'm not accessible all the time. I want to teach you to be happy and comfortable in that grey area where you know I'm around but I'm not going to be right by you and you're certainly not going to stick to my leg all the time. Julie, I assume this training starts from a a puppy, doesn't it? Look, ideally, yes. Mm. Ideally, yes, you teach the puppy that, you know what, it's okay if I put you behind that baby gate in the laundry and you have a Kong or something to chew on and you're just happy knowing that I'm around. Crates are a wonderful first for mm. all sorts of things, but they teach puppies, sometimes you're not with me, you know, you're yes. just in there and I'm around. We can use other indicators for the dog. You know, I've, I sound like a bit of a hippie. I've got music that calms the dog. We can use essential oils to either burn or use in the dog's proximity or even on the dog. Um, you know, to to start when you're, you're early, you're going to have a better chance of a more sound dog, but if they've become older, we need to condition them to be alone in the backyard or the laundry or a crate. We need to condition them by giving them pleasant experiences there when we're absent. Sometimes a good idea is if they'll eat, but they will when you're at home, give them a frozen Kong of delicious stuff mm. and give them five minutes in the yard. Then you go out and be in the yard, but take the conditioner away. So the dog goes, oh, so it's you or the Kong, would you mind going away again so I can have some more Kong? Julie, <laughs> sometimes some people say, uh, you know, uh, when I get my puppy, I'm going to take two weeks off work and uh, spend every minute of the day with my puppy because they feel that's the right thing to do. Oh, they do, and they, they feel guilty because they're going to go to work in the end. But ideally they need to, yes, yeah, spend your time with your puppy and do your bonding, but also teach the puppy what it's like when you're two Mm. steps away, three steps away um, because they need to know that that's part of the routine. Some people say, oh, but I put the television on when I leave. Mm. And I say, but you don't have the television playing when you're at home. So you may as well say to the dog, I'm going now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, they're all really good pointers, some strategies there in terms of developing that grey, as you Mm. say, rather than black and white. Yeah, well, thank you for your time, Julie. Julie Tulliday there, dog trainer and dog behaviourist. It's really interesting, isn't it, when you when you get down to it and break it down. And mm. there are lots of things we can obviously do to help our dogs, and in particular uh, if they are puppies, Paul. Yeah. Other than my suggestion of medication, medication, <laughs> and look, and look, and not to, to sort of say medication isn't helpful. And certainly in some cases, um, early medication with some antidepressants to help a dog become more adjusted and independent is a good thing to do. But but. Dogs are trying to tell us what they need, mm. and we're just often not very good at listening to what they're what they're telling us. Um, and often these signs of anxiety are present from a very young age, and and is looking for those early indicators that then give you that bit of a heads up that this is now a time to start teaching about independence that Julie was talking about. 
um, learning coping mechanisms that don't require your presence to be the saviour. In that often that's the problem is that you, they're, they're nervous about their environment, they believe you as a soldier are the only person who can help yes. them with that. And it's about teaching about independence and learning other coping mechanisms. And sometimes we can get a little bit selfish because we want to walk through the door and, and have that animal run at you and go, my life's back, I'm so excited, because we get gratification out of that. Mm. But then we don't want them sitting there for the last eight hours fretting and waiting for us to be there. That's right. It's not fair. And it's an interesting point you bring up in that one of the, the things that we do encourage owners to do to try and prevent that separation anxiety from starting is make it a very low-key entry and a very low-key exit from your home. So we don't go, see you, see you, bye-bye, see you, see you, bye. You just leave. We've got Dennis from Raymond Terrace. Now, your dogs are digging a lot. Yes, she is. Uh, she's a rehomed um, dog from the pound. Um, a young lady she is, uh, except for her digging. And she, I've tried all the tricks that I know, and I can't stop her. What breed is she, Dennis? Hines. <laughs> okay, yeah. So um, most digging is either boredom, or yep. I'm anxious. So well, in she likes a little bit of both, I think. Okay. So the the problem with that is that what she's developed is a coping mechanism that makes her feel safer and more at home is to displace her anxiety by redirecting it to digging the hole. Yep. So um what we need to try and do is find something else that she could redirect that behaviour towards that gives her the same release that she's not feeling anxious and takes up some of her time with an, a different activity. Now, yeah. um, so digging dogs uh, are generally looking for something physical to do. So they're not going to sort of chew a toy um, or... Um, uh, chew, chew soft toys, they're, they're looking for a physical activity. So the most important thing for any dogs who are digging is to provide as much exercise as you can. So if that's off-lead exercise, if it's walks, if it's trying to, to, to do um, frisbee games or ball games, um, you need to try and give an, an alternative. Now, when you're not there, I assume this is when the digging is mostly occurring? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, with that late response... At night when she's by herself. Yeah, so one of the things you can try and do for those guys is either place them in an area, obviously, where they can't dig, so place them in an area which has concreted floors or indoors. Um, that's one of the simple things. But the second thing is to try and find a game that you could use that she could do while you're not there. So some people might, rather than feed in a bowl, they might hide the food sprinkled all through the garden. And so what the dog needs to do while you're away is go and look for all these food passes, like where, where, where's the food hiding, and that'll fill up some time. The other thing is these things called home alones, which are a, um, a rope you hang from a height that has a, a treat ball attached, and the dog actually has to sort of learn to jump and tug on the ball to have the treat released. So what, you've, what mm -hmm. you're using is a, an activity that gives her something to think about rather than you not being there. Yep. Um, and then thirdly, if it's anxiety-based, have a chat to your local veterinarian about whether this might be a dog that would benefit from some medication to help with the underlying anxiety. Yeah, yeah I think she had, had a hell of a life before we got her. Yeah, and so this might be uh, something that some antidepressants might help her with that too. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So I just wanted to verify all that. Yeah, very good. Good luck, Thanks then. for your call, Dennis. We, we always appreciate it. We're going to go to... Lynn in Gresford. Now, Lynn, you've got a dog next door that keeps popping over to your place. Most definitely. It can be three o'clock in the morning 
um, any time during the day. Um, last night, she was bark, 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 bark to come in. And uh, we went to bed thinking that she'd stop um, uh, with the lights out. No, she kept on barking. Uh, yeah, um, we've got a 12-month-old pup and and um, Coco from next door is her half-sister who's, who's uh, a month younger. And they adore each other, but it's beyond the joke. And the thing is, we find where she escapes uh, on the uh, Our neighbours also find where she escapes and th they fix that. But she's a real Houdini. Sure. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Okay, so, uh, so the neighbours are obviously aware that the dog is escaping? Yes, yeah. because they come... They come and get her from our place, or uh, I take her in, and oh, right, okay. Yeah. So, what happens when you do take her in? So, does you you leave her playing with your dog? Um, when we take her in to her place. No, no. When when she comes to you. So, does, does, when she comes to you, does she come into your house with you? Oh yes. Yeah. She goes straight to our food bowl. Yeah. Eats it, yeah. and then pl says hello and plays with my, our dog. Okay, so so what's actually happening is your place is like Disneyland, and her backyard is not. And well, so what she wants to do is come over to Disneyland and and, <laughs> and and play with the puppies and eat the food and and so there's a real enjoyment about coming to your home. So we, we need to sort of fight this on two fronts. The first is that the neighbour needs to make their house like Disneyland and that the puppy wants to be there and wants to be in the yard and is happy to be in the yard. Um, what's sort of happening is that by um, having this great time when she comes to you is that we're encouraging her to come to you in that she's, she's getting that reinforcement that she gets someone to play with, she gets some food, she gets the company of someone being there, and that's overriding her enjoyment of staying in her own home. So, you know, at, at, at her house, they've got uh, about three or four other dogs. Yeah. And, and, and also, at the moment, she's got pups. Yeah, so there's, a, there's obviously a very busy house next door. There's lots that may be worrying her as an individual dog. She may not feel that she gets enough food there. She may feel she to, has to compete for attention or a com compete for time. And so, therefore, your house is a sort of a safer option to her at the moment because she gets that more individualised attention than she's currently getting in her own home. So, really, it's probably an important one to be speaking to your neighbours about is that we have to break the cycle. Every time she comes to you and gets that reward, it reinforces her to want to come the next time. So oh, this, right. is, this, this is really important that the, uh, the, uh, your neighbours are aware each time she escapes, she's going to want to get out next time twice as much. Mm, so there's a bit of work that Lynn will need on, to on do bo with, in with both her neighbour. Yeah, Lynn, that's we, right. we wish you the best of luck and we appreciate your call today. Let's go to Steve in Barnsley. Now, uh, Denny uh, had Julie Tolliday on earlier to talk about this. You've got anxiety in an older dog. Yeah, um, hello, Sarah. Hi, Steve. My old coolie, she's uh, 18 in August. She's going really well. Um, 
um, what I have is my neighbours that adore her um, tell me when, if I'm not in work gear and I go, she will stand under the house, she can look up the driveway and bark every, like a wolf, um, every 30 seconds yeah. until I come home. Okay. So, um, at her age, there are a few factors that will be playing a role in her anxiety. So, the first is that her vision and her hearing will be reduced. Oh, and, yes. And so, hearing because of sure, that, mate. your role in her life as a defender has become much more important to her. So, oh, yes. So, that single bark is actually the inquiry bark. It's about, am I safe? Is anyone out there? And the reason it's repeated is because no one's replying back. So, um, in this... When I'm I'm in work gear... Yes. And I go... Yep. um, No. No, it's it's because in work gear she is aware that there will be an isolated time period because she's had years of that being the case. Yep. So so she's very recognisable. So your, your patterns of leading will also be different for going to work to going out socially. And because going out socially, there is no pattern to how long that will be, she doesn't know the routine. She understands that the work clothes equal a time period because that time period is generally, for most of us, a very recognisable time period and dogs can understand that. Dogs love patterns. They like to do the same things at the same time all the time. They, They live by routine. And so your work clothes, your work shoes, you picking up your keys from a certain place on the bench every day are all patterns of behaviour that she understands because you've always come home from that. So yeah. she understands that completely. What oh, can she you... runs around like a puppy when yeah, I get home. correct, because she understands what that's about. But the problem you have when you're not in those work clothes is she doesn't understand when, you're rec- when you're, your time of return will be because mm. it previously has been unpredictable. That makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? So one of the things that could... Did you say your neighbours really like your dog? Oh, they love it to be. Yeah. So what a really nice thing would be is if, if they're around when you're away socially... That would be a nice way that she's got her army of defence with her and won't require you to be there. And I often sort of suggest often things like doggy daycare or um, an understanding neighbour for elderly oh, dogs. Oh, she herself going next door. Yeah, that's a really good thing because if she's got an option where she can feel safe, then that anxiety she's feeling when you're, when you're not there will resolve. It won't ever go away completely because she's, she's going to have some missing of you there. But if she's got an army with her, she, and when she's not able to hear and see as well, her, her anxiety levels will drop. Okay, thank you so much for the call. We appreciate it, Steve. We're going to go now to Michelle in Cameron Park, another one about separation anxiety. Hello, Michelle. Hello. You've got a question about separation anxiety. Yes, I do. Uh, we're actually going away in a couple of months' time for a month. Now, my dog is extremely spoilt, and we're just wondering, we're having house sitters coming to our house to look after our cats and birds, and we're just wondering if it would be better to leave her with the house sitters in her own home or take her to my mother's place, who's very capable for that time frame. We're just wanting to know what would be best for the dog. Stay, staying at home. Yeah, without a doubt. 
so, with so, staying so, at home. Yeah, staying at home with a house sitter would, would trump being with your mother quite easily. So, oh. I, I, again, because home is predictable. So as with the last gentleman... Um, Dogs who live in a certain area for a long enough time period know who their neighbours are, they know what those sounds are, they know what the place smells like, they, they urinate in the same place. They've got a routine that makes them feel very safe and relaxed. And so if the opportunity is, or is, is ever that could I stay at home rather than go somewhere else, I would always choose staying at home if you can. It's far, more e- far easier for a dog to be relaxed in absence of owners if they've still got some familiarity with their environment. Okay, that's a nice easy one, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, not even a a think about that one. Dogs are happier in their home turf if they don't have their owners with them. We're going to go to Baz now from Stockton. You've got a question for Dr Paul about your rescue cat. Um, Yeah, we've got a a rescue cat, a hula, Um, and uh, we've got no idea how old he is, somewhere between, say, six and... I don't know, six and nine or something. We've had him four years and we've just come down from um, up to Central West. Plenty of room to run around and plenty of room to pretty much do what he likes when he likes. And he's just been fantastic. Now we've moved down to Stockton and it's a smaller yard. We take him for walks and stuff like that. But all of a sudden now he's just not stable off the lead. Um, won't come back and they're pretty renowned for being pig headed. Yeah. And, um, if anyone knows, if anyone approaches you and you've got a catahoula, all of a sudden you've got a, I don't know, four-legged police task force that you didn't realise you actually owned. Yeah, so, that's um, right. Um, so, yeah, any any ideas on how to re-educate him back? So Into a suburban environment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so the first thing is that um, understanding because of age all of the, the training will take a longer time. So we're, we're dealing with um, learnt behaviours now rather than just teaching um, good coping mechanisms. So your first thing would be to head to somewhere where you've got a large park area and you would take a bag of whatever his favourite food is and you would sit at the edge of that park area so that he can see other dogs and other people and when he sees them, you feed him. So what, what, what we're doing is we're linking a positive reward with what he may currently see as a negative threat. And so initially we're going to keep feeding him for, for good behaviour from a distance around people and other dogs. And once yeah. you've got that situation that he's looking to you, he'll see the person of a dog look to you for the treat, then you start to move closer to, to the, what he sees as the threat. So yeah, you're doing this as a very gradual display. Um, you've got a big dog, and so big dogs, you need to do things very carefully and, and slowly. Um, and particularly because he's not really had a great deal of socialisation with suburbia, this needs to be done in a very slow, safe way because he's going to feel somewhat pressured because there's so many animals in his current turf. Yeah, and that's not good um, for anyone in that environment. He's a, he's a very lovable, stable dog, outside of that, yeah. um, but that pig-headedness, we, we've just got to be able to say, it's risk versus reward and just keep going with the reward yeah, over and, the risk. And, and, and don't try and flood him, so so don't try and say right, we're going to go to the middle of um, Nobby's Beach now and, and train him to be desensitised, you're going to do it at a much quieter spot from a distance and make that a very gradual teaching pattern. Okay, going to go to Bob now uh, from Belmont North, you've also got a question about your cat. Yes, um, two years ago we, we got two um, rescue kittens from um, the RSPCA. Um, 
recently, the larger of the two has, um, every now and again, if the other one's laying down, he'll come up, stand over the top of him, grab him by the back of the neck. Sometimes he, he does, you know, grab him fairly hard and he gets a response from the other one who, who um, carries on. But he stands there and then he sort of marks time with his back legs. Lift one up and then put it down, lift the other one up and put it down. Um, it's, well, initially it was a, quite amusing, but we're worried that um, mm. it might be something it, where, you know, he may hurt his Correct. His so, so this is sadly um, not amusing. So this is a cat telling you that the environment is making him tense. Um, so it, it could be now that he's feeling that the territory is too small for them both. Were they siblings, do you know? No, they weren't, right, uh, but they were start. sort of brought up together. Same and age, same basically, size. he's got a, a, a tail that's in a knot. Okay. Um, so I and think... the other one has got three legs. It was born with a deformed leg. So the the folks at the RSPCA said that they had to be indoor cats. Of course. Now, we've, yeah. we've got a very large house. I yeah. mean, it's um, two storeys, um, three, four bedrooms downstairs, um, two bedrooms upstairs and and they've got the run of the house. Yeah, um, so I think what's, what you'll need to probably do now is um, how many litter trays do you have? Sorry? How many litter trays do you have? Two. So increase that by two. Um, so you, oh, okay. you, you Ideally, you always have a litter tray per cat and one spare. But if you've got some anxiety starting, have two litter trays per cat in in different locations. Another thing you could do is there's a pheromone you can plug into your wall called Feliway to try and make the I'll house... Just write that down. Yeah. What is it? Feliway, F-E-L-I-W-A-Y, and it's designed to help make your house smell safer. Um, and have a chat to your local vet too. There, there are agents you can give medically to try and help with this as well, but I, I would think that this is probably going to escalate and you want to try and stop it before it gets to a fight because once cats have had a fight... Um, they don't forgive easily, and so it can really make the household somewhat challenging. So they've got a very long memory. These they these have, cats. yeah. Well, so so cats, yeah. yes, they they don't they don't kiss and make up as quickly as dogs do. Okay, yeah. some good advice there. Uh, we have time for one more call. Let's go to Larry, who's in Lambton. Uh, you've got a concern about your daughter's dog. Yeah, it's a daughter-in-law. They live on the block with us, but. Uh, we spend a lot of time, it's a, an Australian bulldog, female, uh, about oh, nearly a year and a half old, very lovely, very affectionate and everything, but any time she comes down with me or I do anything with her, she always wants to give me a wash on my legs, my arms yeah. and everywhere, so I don't know just what I can do to stop her doing that, I, I keep pushing her away and tell her no and that, but... Yeah, so, so, just so stop... Just or what? I don't yeah, know stop, stop both of those things because what she's actually trying to say to you is um, I want to appease you. I want to tell you I'm safe, we're good friends, don't hurt me. All oh, right. So if we, if we give a no or a don't or, or a threat of any way, she will then think you might hurt me so I've got to do it more now because I haven't uh-huh. appeased you enough. 
Um, right. So, so for behaviours we don't want a dog to do, we don't ever actually make a comment about them. We ignore them. So your best bet is when she starts to lick you, is just turn your back, close your close your arms across your chest, so that she she's being told by you socially that that behaviour is unnecessary. We, there, yeah. there's, there's nothing to be gained by that, because um, what she's actually trying to do is tell you she won't hurt you. She's safe. Don't hurt me. Be safe with me. And so right. meeting, meeting that with any reprimand will fuel that for next time. So oh, your, right. your best yeah. bet with her is she's trying to tell you that she wants to be the best of friends. Um, and if you don't like the licking behaviour, just turn your back or, or walk away so that she realises that there's nothing to be gained for that. Even better still, try and have her do a sit or a drop or a stay so you've actually told her what you'd like her to do so that she gets a reward for doing a behaviour that you want her to do and she's doing the right thing, gets, gets the treat, and so she feels special and well-loved. But, but certainly in this circumstance, she, she's, not, she's trying to tell you she loves you. And that's all we have time for today for Pet Chat. Thank you so much for everyone who phoned in. Of course, we will be back same time next week. Daniel Carrington, thank you for coming in. Lovely thank to you. see you as always. Goodbye. Interesting topic. And Dr Paul McCarthy, once again, you did not get to your topic. <laughs> no, I'm always happy to answer calls. <laughs> we love answering calls. That's what we're here for. And we can try again in the next week. <laughs> we'll try again next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.